Green Bay, welcome to Power and Witness. Uh, Thank you. on the show. And I want to ask you just a few questions about uh, music, but maybe a little bit about your background. You're sure. from Singapore, but you live half the time in L.A. area, is that right? Yeah, so I've been in L.A. since 1999. So we moved um, to L.A. after I, I graduated from uh, the Berklee College of Music in Boston. So I've been there since 99, which is basically most of my adult life. Um, but I grew up in Singapore uh, until I was about 23, and then I moved um, to the U.S. So yeah, right now we kind of, well, as of pre-COVID times, uh, we used to go back every half a year to, mm -hmm. El to Singapore. Um, you know, ever since my daughter was born back in 2009, we figured we'd spend more time with the family over there, mm -hmm. let her, you know, let her experience life with her grandparents, um, have time with her cousins, especially since she's an only kid. But um, so we've been doing this back and forth really nicely, you know, between Singapore and LA, and I've got great friends in both places. Um, but starting from COVID times, well, back in 2020, we, you know, we kind of adopted a cat when we were back in Singapore. <laughs> it's like once you adopt a cat, you can't really you know, leave the cat with your friends for six months yeah, of the year. Right. Um, and then the next thing that happened was um, a year ago, I, I got appointed as a choir director for um, the 5 p.m. mass uh, at a church called St. Joseph's in Singapore on Sunday. So once you start a choir, you think it's just, you know, initially I thought, okay, you know, choose the music, rehearse the people. Um, but then I realized it was more than that. It was about forming a community. Mm. It was about having a place where these young adults could come together and share their faith and, and learn about their faith through the music. It was almost like I was being called to, to you know, sort of be a kind of a shepherd for them mm. um, through this music. So it's been interesting. So we've been having to spend more time in Singapore of late. Um, so I'm kind of missing LA, but I'm seeing that the Lord is maybe asking me to spend more time over there. And your husband's yeah. work allows husband. him to to work in both places? <laughs> yeah, so we're both musicians, which helps oh. um, because he can work from here um, in the States. He can work from, you know, from Singapore. The great thing is that technology has helped to bridge that gap. Mm. So he can just send off his, um, he, he works as a musician and he does a lot of music library work. Um, he composes. So he gets his commissions from people. You know, um, one of the companies he works for is based in New York. Um, so they'll just send him a message, say, oh, Kevin, uh, you know, we need some stuff, um, you know, some film trailers. We need some music to, to embed with this, you know, TV show. Oh. Um, send, send us the tracks by mm -hmm. this time and this time. And he can just send mm -hmm. it off online, you know, mm -hmm. or through the computer. Um, my daughter is homeschooled, so that has helped. Like she was in school, elementary school in L.A. for a while. And we were doing the back and forth thing with school in Singapore and school in L.A., um, and then we converted to just full-time homeschooling because it was just easier uh, to travel and to bring school with us. Yeah, and it was easier for yeah. us to be able to incorporate the value system that we want her to grow up with, with right. um, and to see the world at the same time. Yeah. So, so it helped, you know, just with that. I love the story you tell on the show about um, helping your dad play the organ. <laughs> <laughs> how, how old were you at that point? <laughs> I think I was about five. I remember being about five or so. Um, and he was playing, I can't remember what he was playing, but we had one of those little, you know, Yamaha electone organs. Um, it had a couple of pedals. It wasn't like a church pipe organ, but it had two manuals and he was playing some sort of a folksy pop song. And he was just getting the chords wrong. He was getting the, the bass pedal wrong. 
And I just could not stand it because I, I could hear that jarring dissonance of it. <laughs> and he couldn't. So I thought, oh, why isn't, why isn't he moving his foot? It's uh -huh. not supposed to be there. So I just went over. I just shifted his... I remember like kneeling down and just crawling to get to his foot, you know, and just moving his foot to the right pedal. Yeah. And, then he, and I don't think he was, I don't know if he was surprised or anything. Did he, did they, were you taught at that point how to play yourself? Or did you know this pedal or you just, is this by ear? And then I think it was by ear. It was by ear because I oh. wasn't a very good sight reader because I relied a lot on my ear. And I remember that when I started taking piano lessons, um, I didn't like reading that sheet music. So what I would do, I would kind of, um, <laughs> I would try to be smart about it. Um, so I would ask my piano teacher to play the piece first, mm -hmm. you know, and she would think that, oh, she's demonstrating some stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But for me, I was just taking it all in. And so that when she was done playing the piece, I knew what it was, I could play it back. Mm. Uh, I didn't really have to rely so much on the sheet music. So I was wow. kind of cheating that way, Wow. you know, wow. but I think, um, but now I, I get to sight read much better because, uh, well, I was a church musician for many years in L.A. And sometimes when you're a church musician and cantors come in with music that you've never seen before, especially if it's Spanish music, um, because in L.A. we've got a huge population of people who, um, who speak Spanish. And so he came in with, you know, he would, he would come in continuously with all the, this music that I'd never seen before, like 15 minutes before mass starts. And, yeah. I'm, and I had to scramble to, right. to learn this music. Yeah. So I had to rely on my sight reading, yeah. um, through which my sight reading improved. Yeah. And that was only in my 20s. So. And when you were at Berkeley, and is it Berkeley or Berkeley? <laughs> I, I think, it, well, it's, it almost sounds the same way like Berkeley in uh, California, Berkeley. So the way it's spelled is B-E-R-K-L-E-E. -E. Oh, yeah. B-E-R-K-L-E-E. -E. Yeah, it's, it's a name. It's actually a reverse of the name of the person who, who, had, um, who founded the school. Uh, I think his name is Lee Burke, L-E-E-B-E-R-K. So they just switched it around and called it Berkeley. Very original. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's pronounced Berkeley. Uh, and that's why I went to for music school in Boston. And uh, I spent about um, two and a half years there. It was my second college um, degree. So the first one was in NUS in Singapore, National University of Singapore. Uh, I got my English Lit degree there, my Mass Communication mm -hmm. degree there. And then I decided to get my second one in music. Yeah. And relic, relative to your classmates at the music school, did you just fit right in or did you have special abilities kind of thing? Or Well, so for the first three months, I had to stay in a dorm um, and all the international students had to do that. Uh, special abilities. Well, it was nice to be able to be in music school and to, um, to hear all the music that that was coming up from all the practice rooms and to realize that, um, you know, even though you felt you were special <laughs> in terms of the whole mm -hmm. music thing, you realize that there are a whole bunch of other musicians who have different, different gifts and very many different varied um, ways. So it was good for me to have this place where I could hear people writing songs and doing really well, singing them. Um, and then in the next room, you would have someone you know, practicing his electric guitar and really, really, you know, playing beautiful stuff. Um, so it was a humbling experience, but it was also very inspiring. And mm -hmm. it helped me to realize my talent in music, um, you know, was not like a general idea of music, but it got me to understand I could um, get into songwriting and get into being a singer-songwriter, it allowed me to have that little space to play around and to experiment and to try out different ways of music. Uh -huh. 
you know, whether I would be better at producing music and arranging music, which I realized I was not because I didn't like the technical part of it, like the mixing and all the mm -hmm. and turning the knobs. I didn't, I didn't enjoy that. Initially, I thought I was going to, mm -hmm. but I wasn't so much of the engineer mindset. Um, so then I would sit in on a songwriting class and uh, there's this teacher called Pat Patterson, uh, amazing songwriting teacher. So I would sit in on the class just, you know, curious about what this songwriting class was because I never realized that songwriting could be, could be learned that way as a craft. Um, because previously, I just sort of, you know, whatever inspiration came into my mind from a musical perspective, I would just play it on the piano, try to fit some words into it and think, okay, that's it. Yeah. But this guy, um, he came from a literature background, so he understood how to explain the craft of lyric writing in terms of literature. And he really demystified um, the craft of it for me by pointing out certain tricks you could do, certain ways of crafting the song, like um, you know, how rhythm and rhyme were so important and, and, and structure so that you could carry the ideas into a song, um, how the first words and the last words of every line were important, they were spotlighted lines spotlighted words. So if you wanted something to really stand out, you would put it right at the beginning or right at the end. And it, our ear remembers the very last word in every line. So if you wanted to rhyme something and make it pair up with another idea, you would rhyme that, you know, maybe perfectly. If you didn't want those two ideas to go together, you would stick in something that wasn't a rhyme at the end so that the ear would move on to the next rhyme. Mm. And then you could sort of pair those two ideas that rhymed together. And then you could sort of, you know, um, craft ask, it such that... Let me ask you real quick. Yeah. Like the rhyming, would that be like literal rhyming of sound or like in a broader sense, a rhyming of idea or synonym or something? Oh, or, that's interesting that you yeah. brought that up. <laughs> yeah. So um, primarily the rhyming of words. words. So he recommended um, us using a rhyming dictionary and... Not a rhyming dictionary in terms of the alphabetical rhyming dictionary, but a rhyming dictionary based on sound. So um, there was one. There's one that he recommends from Clement Wood. Um, you can find it probably on Amazon or so. Mm -hmm. And it rhymes the vowels. It rhymes the sounds. Um, so it's really easy to sort of uh, come up with more ideas. So one of the ways that I learned um, for channeling and for you know getting more inspiration out of say a single idea was to use a title, a title line, or, or some idea you had about the song, um, like say, Fly Away. You know, I have one song called Fly Away. If you took that title and you said, you know, I want to write a song called Fly Away. Um, and then you took one word, you, you take that word fly, you run it through the rhyming dictionary and you look for all the perfect rhymes, which are the words that, you know, buy, cry, all those letters. Mm. <laughs> and then you, you look for those that maybe are not so closely linked together, like bribe or um, crime. You know, yeah. so some, some words which are not so closely linked in that sound, but which could work together. Um, because when you sing a word, you can get away with a lot more words that don't totally rhyme um, with singing than you can do so with, the, um, with reciting poetry. You know? I'm thinking of Neil yeah. Diamond. He says, what did he say? Like, uh, songs you sang to me, something you bring to me. <laughs> I mean, he like, sometimes he would force the rhyme, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you were morning, I was <laughs> Yeah, if it sounds forced, then I think the listener will probably feel that too. Um, so it's kind of hard that way. But yeah, 
So rhymes are actually really important because they help the ear to cling onto ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you that's why that's why if you you know slogans, um, you know uh, um, mo- mo- mottos, uh, you know all those short little phrases that people throw around. If they rhyme, they stick in the brain so much so much more. Mm-hmm. It's like the nursery rhymes that we learned as kids. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And the so. literature component of it, as I've noticed that like with preachers, I know a priest that studied literature and stuff, and then he just had a way of preaching that just seemed, had a greater fullness to it, a greater richness to it. I, maybe it is just simply his vocabulary, but he, <laughs> there was, it was something more. I couldn't put my finger on it, but he just had like this expansive way with the language to preach. Oh, wow. It wasn't like artificial stilted. He mm-hmm. didn't fake a British accent or something. <laughs> but it was, uh, I just thought, I thought to myself, that comes from your literature background. Yeah, you know? I, I think that helps. Yeah. Like I'm thinking of people like Fulton Sheen. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the way that he could paint a picture in your mind with just a few words. Yeah. I think that's um, a gift with words where you can use, uh, you know, tools like metaphor. So uh, I think those are ways in which you can sort of build a story, especially with a song. Uh, a song is kind of like taking a big book or a novel and trying to squeeze that into three minutes or four minutes, you know. So yeah. you really have a limited number of lines and limited number of words that you can use to just paint a picture. And that's where you're forced to have to say a lot with just a few words. And with that, the imagery, um, the use of metaphor, the use of juxtaposition, the use of all these literary tools comes into play um, because you really have to get across that idea in, in, in a very succinct but yet powerful way. Um, and I think it's it's good that you brought up the idea of people using it for sermons and homilies because I think a lot of what we communicate um, is about telling a story. Mm-hmm. You know, um, how do you paint that that visual in your mind? How do you get someone to imagine a value or to imagine a future, or to sort of hope in a way where you can tie it in the visual component, like in nature, you know, or something that everybody can relate to. Um, so it has to be an experience that most people can understand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, either either flying, flying, in, you know, off on an airplane, and and the longing for that person who has just left. You know, you can paint that in. Or, or like a good meal. On a jet plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it so, stirs something. We all know that feeling of saying goodbye or maybe right. saying goodbye to a loved one. Yeah, it gets us in a spot. It gets us in yeah, a spot, yeah. yeah. So the more yeah. you can sort of relate that, you can paint that picture, you know, to allow that person to feel exactly how the emotions are. So another great tool that I remember learning was um, something called object writing. So... Uh, it's, it's kind of an exercise where, like, the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning when your mind's all groggy and your editor is still asleep, <laughs> so you don't get criticized. Uh, you pick an object and you write for 10 minutes about it. Oh, before the internal yeah. critic. Yeah, before the internal critic wakes up. Really? So, That's a real thing? You yeah, do it? yeah, yeah. So okay. it's like, um, it's a good exercise. I don't get to do it as often as I uh-huh. should. But it's supposed to be done, you know, daily to sort of just, you know, sharpen the saw, you know, of your of your writer. Yeah. Um, you can pick any object and you write about it from a sensory perspective, like, you know, how does like taste, um, sound, you know, hearing, uh, how does it feel? So, for example, um, if you were to pick um, 
A cup of coffee. A cup of coffee. Okay. How does it smell? How would it taste if you stuck your tongue into it? Would it be hot? Would it burn your tongue? If you had the coffee going through through your, your esophagus, how would that feel? If you were that coffee in the cup, how uh -huh. would you feel if you were moving around and someone splashed you onto the wall? Right. You know, would right. you drip down that wall? Would it would it color it brown? Like how? What what would it look like? Would it look like? <laughs> Like a, a um, you know a Franciscan <laughs> priest prostrating <laughs> on the ground, <laughs> right, right, all those right. images um, that mm -hmm. come across through your sensory expressions because we can all taste and we can all touch certain thing, things. My husband was so funny too. He said, you know, it's so funny how if you think about licking something, you can actually feel that texture of it, even though you've never licked it before. Like for example, the carpet on the ground. If you can imagine licking it, you're like, oh, you can feel the fuzziness of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, even if you've never really done that, you can right, imagine that with right. your senses. So the thing is to give the senses something to do. Like if you're a songwriter, if you're a writer, if you're a homilist, um, to give, to use as many sensory expressions as you can to get that person to feel exactly the mood, the emotion mm. um, that you'd like to convey. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, you made me, I was preaching this morning, Saints Peter and Paul. And yeah, I was there at Mass. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I was thinking, I wish I would have looked up more about those two statues. Like, of Peter and Paul in front of St. Peter's. Oh, the huge ones you were talking about. Yeah. Eight, eight foot? I mean, I guess they're like 20 <laughs> feet. I don't even, I should have looked it up, but they're there with a beautiful fountain. Ooh. And I was thinking like, if you would describe, if I would have described maybe the sound, or I don't even think I said Peter's holding the keys, Paul's holding the sword, but they're like pillars, they're prominent. They're like, there's two things that, like in this supreme location in the yeah. square. And so, I mean, I'm just thinking how that conveys the significance of Peter and Paul. Because you got all these statues like above the, uh, the I forgot what they call it, those columns on St. Peter, the arms going out. You know, above they have like, like, heard about this. Yeah. Yeah, they got like 80 statues above, but there's only two in the square. There's Peter and Paul, and they're big. And they're beautiful with the water. <laughs> oh. So what's the significance of Peter and Paul for the church, right? It's, I mean, if you go and I don't know, you're just making me think of that stuff. Yeah, but, that's good. It's good. Yeah. Because it's like the whole size of it. It also gets us to think about how important they are. You know, like size equates like right. magnanimity, like, you know, the hugeness of the idea. I mean, and they're the gateway. It's almost like they're the defenders of everybody else behind them. Yeah. You know, the yeah. idea that, I mean, you, you painted yeah. that in my mind with yeah. the, the smallness of the rest of them being up there. And then, the you know, you've got to get through Peter and Paul to get through all the rest of the yeah. saints, you know. Yeah, they're like part of that essence of yeah. the church there. But and so, well, like the connection, like analogy. I, yeah, I think in songwriting and stuff. I, you know, I met a songwriter one time. He lives up in Nashville, and and when you talk to him, I don't know what the quality is, but he was just interesting to listen to. It wasn't like he was maybe saying all these beautiful truths, mm -hmm. but maybe like just him describing things in his life, right. there was like such a richness. Maybe it's this quality you're talking about. Yeah, that, could be. Because when he told me he was a songwriter, I said, and I, I heard one of his songs that he had written the lyrics for, and I thought, it, you can obviously see it in how he speaks, you know? And, and so you're saying like to marshal all these, as much sensory perception yeah. here, right? And yeah. in your story or content. Right, to make yeah. people feel what you feel, you know? Yeah. Not to tell them, but to get them to, you know, to feel 
Um, yeah, so that's interesting that you brought up that Nashville songwriter as well, because this whole idea about the songwriting craft of it, it's very much, um, uh, you know, sort of celebrated in Nashville. Um, with the country music, with the, the style of writing, it's very much that the classic songwriting feel. Even people like Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sure she uses some of those techniques too in her songwriting yeah. so that she can actually affect a lot of the um, her listeners to bring them on a journey. Right. You know? So, right. yeah, it's, it's geared towards that craft, um, the craft of songwriting. And what about, like, like some people's, I'm thinking of like Motown. Like, oh, Motown. <laughs> like they could they could express feeling with their voice. There's something about how they would use uh, like an intensity in their voice, or there's something passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. Their whole quality of that singing. Yeah, yeah. It's like there's some there's sometimes I listen to some of the Motown music and it's like. There's like this energy in it. There's kind of this power in it. Kind of a joy too. Yeah, a joy. I was thinking like, is it Aretha Franklin? Yeah. Some of the stuff she would just kind of sing, you know, just had, <laughs> I don't know what that, how you just, what that quality is, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that. It's like a, it's almost like an infusion of, of, uh, of joy or that passion. And it's like, uh -huh. it's body language. It comes out through the voice. Um, they infuse their voice with that passion for whatever they're singing, mm -hmm. and um, it's genuine too. You know, I think it's it's wonderful you brought it up too because um, I was just thinking a lot of what we do as communicators. Uh, you know, they're saying seventy percent of how we how we how we communicate is body language. Mm. Um, like, do people understand what you mean? Do they do they feel like you're being genuine? You know, and you see that a lot when you go to an open mic, you know, an open mic is where anybody can just take the mic and just sing their song. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you notice the people coming up, you realize certain ones you gravitate to and certain ones you sort of like, eh, not sure whether their yeah. story rings true. Right. And most of the time it's because you can tell from the body language whether someone's speaking from their heart, whether someone really means what they say, whether they're really singing it as something they own mm -hmm. or whether they're just putting on a show right and you can tell all that um through body language and through maybe the way that they're even the intensity of that voice yeah. you know it's, it's it all comes together it's it's one whole thing it has to be an organic whole or somehow you don't feel that it's true so it's interesting to do that too and and being a mom i mean after i i gave birth and and started caring for my baby you know the first few months the, the child the baby just all you have is, is to go on is just that facial expression, um, the body language of the baby, the cry. So you're really attuned to the kid. And the kid starts getting attuned to you. They look to you. And because there's no, there, there are no words there at that point in time, the first few months, mm -hmm. it's all about body language. And I mm -hmm. think the Lord made us that way because it's so important to be able to sense more than just, um, you know, more than just, what someone says, you really have to look to everything that they are, uh -huh. you know. And if we forget about that, I think that's when we lose touch with our sense of what's real out there in the world. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that we've, you know, come into a time when we're so reliant on our screens, where mm -hmm. we see stuff. And yes, we can see the body language of people being on our screens, but 
it's almost like we need to be in that same space sometimes. It's it's yeah. it's hard yeah. to be apart from that. And I think with COVID, it taught us something. It taught us that we yearned for that human touch. We yearned for that that space together with you know community. Mm-hmm. We can't be apart, even though it's it's great that technology can bridge you know the the gap um, between isolation and, and the next best thing. But it's it's not the best thing. The best thing is still to be in person with someone. Um, or part of a larger community, and to and to sense that, right. you know, in a way where um, technology is still trying to catch up with that, and it's just the sense of touch, the sense of, you know, the intensity of the voice, the smell. You know, I've, <laughs> we can't capture smell right. over right. over our devices. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think they had something called smell vision a long time back uh, when they were trying to sort of do yeah, that. You know, trying yeah. to sort of like pipe in smells from whatever yeah. it could be. I mean, yeah. they can't capture the whole thing. Our sense of smell is something really powerful. Like if you smell something, it brings you back. And memories just, you know, trigger something from your youth or from some event in your life. If you smell something, um, you know, the fragrance industry is huge. But yeah, yeah, I think yeah, like like with pictures too. Like we, I was, I did a number of. We did some videos for Life on the Rock yeah. of like stuff I did like out in nature and talking about, you know, God speaking us through nature and how it helps us connect to God and everything. But you know, it always falls short. Like you shoot it, and it just doesn't. I I feel like it's like the depth, like the real three dimensional. You know, it's just a different thing to see it on a flat screen than to see the, mm. you know, three dimensional tree or the maybe if you're in a little canyon or something. Yeah. You know? And uh, it, I mean, movies are amazing. Sometimes I guess they're very good at capturing. Like I think of like Dances with Wolves. Oh yeah, that was a beautiful one. Yeah, you really like, feel it, you're immersed in the yeah. wilderness. Yeah, that was like, I thought, you know, it's the music too, like the yes. stirring music and then these scenes. And, I, you know, I was out in South Dakota. I was at a conference and I took an extra day. I said, I want to go see. I was in college when that movie came out and I just thought, I thought it was one of the most beautifully shot movies I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I remember I wanted to, I found out where they shot the film there. And I, I went, it was outside of Pierre, however you pronounce it, the capital of South Dakota. And, and I remember I just stopped at the hotel saying, we're trying to find where this road was. And they, and I said, they were like, and I told them why. And they said, well, they said, why do you want to go out there? You know, it's like, there's just nothing but fields and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I got out there and it was beautiful, but the movie, the movie did a good, maybe it was the music in it too. And yeah. I even saw the herd, they even had a herd of buffalo. Oh, I saw a herd of buffalo out wow, there. Wow. And, uh, but it, That's amazing. Yeah, there's something, and I heard, like, I like some of the music of Hillsong. And somebody, you know, they, they're doing all these documentaries, tearing it apart now, yeah. but it's like, <laughs> uh, they have, um, like this one critic was saying, well, yeah, they just, they take Coldplay and do like chord present. Oh, chord, <laughs> chord progressions, you know, and it's moving, that's right? Funny that you say that. Yeah, and yeah. and I, I just was. Also, I want to show you that later. I, I just had a video of some Protestant preacher giving this message, and they did a little bit of chord, and I it did it adds so much, like in terms of an emotion. Yes, yes. Now what what's going on there with the chord? Yeah, I think my I think my husband would probably appreciate that better too. But um so I did a little minor in film scoring as well when I was back in uh, at Berkeley College of Music. I it was actually my double major, but I, you know, decided to just finish up the songwriting. 
So there's a lot going on in terms of like trying to get the the mood, um, you know, and and the certain qualities with it, like I think it's linked to the rhythm and time as well. Uh, our heartbeats, you know, how it stirs up, how it gets faster when we're excited. You notice that the music and movies too, it takes that same tact. It sort of like increases its speed, it increases the intensity because it's trying to sort of like get you to feel those emotions. And so so tempo is one way where um, musicians can sort of try to emote something in terms of the tempo. So if you want something to be relaxed, you notice that the tempo is slower, the mm -hmm. mood is you know, sort of like a bit more um, lyrical, you get longer notes, you don't get really short staccato beats. Mm -hmm. The opposite is true. If you're trying to stir up a sense of excitement, like say the buffalo coming at you, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you get a lot of percussive yeah, beats, you get yeah. a lot of staccatos, yeah. you get a lot of like maybe loud trumpet sounds or something. So the whole orchestra, the whole way that people orchestrate, like um, even in, in classical music, the way they use certain instruments, you know, like the timpani for like loud and they want to accent a, a particular scene, they might bring in something as deep as a timpani or a bassoon or a tuba, like boom, boom, you know. But with the, let me just say this real yeah. quick. You know, in the Passion of the Christ, they have one scene at the end where Jesus rises, right? And he's in the tomb. He stands up. I think they show you like the nail hole in his palm, and they just hit. It was like a beat. I think it was like a drum oh, that wow. he was like coming. I, I know it was so simple, but it was so powerful. I mean, I was just amazed hmm. how he just captured. I mean, because it he could have really some. Someone could have really just overdone it. Mm -hmm. But this was like, this is down to bare bones, essential, the power of the resurrection. We just saw this gruesome portrayal of the crucifixion and then just a snippet kind of the resurrection. But he, he just captured it. I thought the music, him standing up, you know, the profile of Jim Caviezel, like looking for something. I mean, it was just amazing what you could do in 30 seconds or whatever it was, yes. you, know? you know? Yeah, I think but, that that's interesting yeah. that you brought that up too. Yeah, sometimes you don't need a lot. Sometimes you yeah. just need that visual and there's something to just, you know, be there. Um, because sometimes if it's too much, it distracts from the essential. Yeah. You know? yeah. So it's an interesting call, I think. Um, and that's where the music director or the composer has to make a call about like what fits in the scene. Right. Um, you know, do you have long strings and the note? Um, yeah, the strings. Yeah. What are the strings? The violins. Yeah. Oh, this is a really. I don't know if you remember Henry V with Ken Branagh back in the eighties. Ah, uh, yeah, I think I watched it yeah. because it was part of the whole. Um, <laughs> There's a homeschooling syllabus that, we, that I'm doing <laughs> with my kid, and we get to watch that. Ah, uh, yeah. They have a really stirring theme Sound music. Right, yeah. Yeah, and it's the violins, and I think it's this chord progression stuff, whatever. Yeah. And uh, to, to me, the whole movie is mostly unbearable, except <laughs> the, the speech that he gives. Oh, okay, yeah. That you know, is, I think we had to watch that. that because they, they hit the music during the speech. Mm -hmm. He jumps up on the log, and I can't remember how the music goes. Da -da -da, da -da, something, And he's yeah, firing yeah. him up, and it was like... Whoa. I mean, because I went back and watched another version with uh, the famous British actor who did it back in the 50s or 60s. Um, oh, yeah, the two versions of that. I can't remember the other guy. Yeah. The one guy is like considered one of the best actors. But it was like Ken Branagh did such a, I thought it was so much better. I mean, the other guy did the Shakespearean speech version. It was a bit too far removed, I think. Yeah. yeah. And Branagh modified the speech somewhat. You know, he did. Um, but 
I don't know. I thought the music and the you know the closest the expression you saw in his face and everything. Yeah. Um, was just, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned about the music too and the you know. Um, I was just giving this workshop not too long ago about how um, our lives are like a song. If you're talking about, um, you know, how when we're trying to make something important, we spend a lot of time on it. We kind of hold that note, you know, over time. And same same deal with music. If we want to sort of emphasize a really important phrase or important word, uh, we give it a whole note. We give it a a very long kind of like a pause. But if we want to skip over little things, you know, we'll, we'll give it little short notes. You know, right. it'll, it'll go past quite fast. But also the contrast between the long note and the short note, or the contrast between a minor scale and a major scale, uh, the contrast between one key and the next, um, whether it's two dissonant notes rubbing together or whether they're harmonizing in the chord. I mean, there's so much to say for the metaphor of song in our lives. Mm. Um, the fact that we're not just playing one single note with our lives, otherwise that would be boring. That wouldn't be a song, that would be a drone, yeah. you know. But our lives are such that, you know, sometimes we feel, um, we feel the intensity of the changing seasons or changing situations. Maybe we're chucked into something where it's, it's such a challenging situation, we don't know how we can go on. It's like a cross, and then it resolves again. You know, or we or we encounter certain certain moments in our lives where we feel, hey, this this feels familiar. Like I, I've I've gone through this before, maybe ten years back. It's a little mm. different, but you know, it's familiar. And that's kind of like what it is with music too. We bring back these these themes, these familiar m motifs. You know, um, we might change it a little higher, we might bring it a little lower, uh -huh. but they're familiar to us because we've we've encountered it before, but maybe in a different key, yeah. maybe upside down. Maybe, maybe with a little bit of an accidental, like, you know, maybe now it's, it's a bit sharper or a bit flatter. But there are all these um, beautiful ways in which I think our Lord plans out our lives such that it becomes a beautiful song. Yeah. You know, it, it, might, it, it might, hopefully it will resolve to a nice, perfect, perfect ending I remember, according to his will. I remember Father Benedict Rochelle told us about he had this wonderful story about his own call to be a religious and a priest. And um, he served a lot with mentally ill people. You know, he got a degree in psychology and stuff. But he had an experience. He had a, a woman that was a shut-in in the neighborhood he was in. And people would say, oh, she's a witch and everything. So oh. one day he he climbs up the back stairway. Like the Benedict Crishell? Yeah, as he's like five years old or something. Oh. <laughs> and he stands at a garbage can to peer into the window of her apartment. And when he got up, standing at the garbage can or something, he's peering into the window. Her face is right there. <gasps> staring. Oh, 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 that's scary. <laughs> and I think he like fell back. Oh, and my goodness. He ran right to the church and went to Our Lady and in front of the candles. And, uh, and I think he said like his call came from there. But he said. Oh, that's so funny. That's yeah, so cute. And, like, no, he, so he's working story. with people that had mental struggles his whole life. Well, he wrote books on psychology and stuff and had a psychological approach like in his preaching and stuff. Wow. He was just. Yeah, he just had a way of like tapping into like the psyche of man, you know, stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, but I, I remember, I think the point he was making is that God would works with us oftentimes along a theme. Like he's like Mother Angelica had a lot of physical suffering her whole life. Even if he was a teenager, she had a like drop stomach condition. Wow. Made a novena to Saint Therese was healed of it. But then in the monastery, she had this back condition, you know, needed the braces. So pain was like this constant thing in her life. And that's the, and I remember somebody, 
Somehow it came up one time. Somebody made some prophecy about her death or something, and she Whoa. like a sudden death or something, and and she said, "No, oh, the Lord doesn't work with me that way. It's going to be this <laughs> long." <laughs> she just dismissed it wow. immediately. You know? <laughs> but I like that. I never thought about it with music, you know, continuing because uh, you know something too. It's like it, it's almost like sometimes I think like to get something in a movie, they have to. Uh, What's like forecasted, or what's the word? Uh, I forgot the literature term where they they do some scene is gonna is kind of like prophetic of what's gonna oh, happen yeah, later yeah, in yeah. the movie. Yeah. But it's almost like so you you have to have some experience of it, I think, to understand it better, right? Like maybe your, maybe a few little notes here to sort of like think about like oh, oh I've heard that before kind of thing. Yeah, 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 and it's like you know we almost take time to ponder it to process it you know and then it and then when it gets amped up and the you know it has more meaning to us so we understand it or certainly the audience watching the film will, yeah. will you know understand that's it that's a good point yeah that's a good point yeah, even the mise-en-scene uh, what they call like the setting of the, the movie the colors that they use or you know the, the setting of the table or how to how the frame is being framed yeah um Foreshadowing. Was Foreshadowing. The That's, the <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. What about the connection with with story? Um, we interviewed a country music singer one time on Life in the Rock, and he had a big hit about. Um, uh, it was just he was just telling a story of of a father like raising a special needs child, mm -hmm. and then the child precedes him in death and. Well, he, I remember he talked about, you know, people, he'd like go to a restaurant and people would be staring or whatever. He, at some point, you know, he's telling them, oh, no, he's with me, he's with me. And then later, as he goes through life, the boy dies and finally oh. he's, he's the end of it. You know that song? Uh, he's a famous, I can't forget to get He's a famous <laughs> singer, Dashville guy. But he, uh, oh. but at the end of his life, he goes to heaven and he, he hears the same thing. He said, no, he's with me. He hears like. Oh, they recolored that. Yeah. That title. They yeah. That line. So he, That's a good way. he says it about the yeah. boy. And then at the end, the boy's in heaven saying, he's with me. Yeah. Right? Oh, that's a, that's very smart. That's yeah. a smart song right yeah. there. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a good, that's a good way to, they call it in, in songwriting terms, they call it recoloring. Um, because you approach that same thing from a different perspective. Right. Um, so I tried to do that with one of my songs because, um, so Pat Patterson, the teacher, which he, he was talking about this recoloring thing. He says, you know, don't, don't just give the listener a laundry list of repeating what you've already said for the first verse when you're going into the chorus the second time around. Give them something fresh to look yeah. at that same chorus, but from a different angle, uh, from, a, from a deeper perspective. Don't just give them a whole laundry list like you, you know, you gave them apples, grapes, bananas. Here's another bunch of fruit and then here's the chorus. No, that's boring. Mm -hmm. so, um, so I tried to do that for one of my songs too called Fly Away, where um, the first verse talks about, you know, me leaving my mom, you know, sort of like going overseas and she's sort of like, oh, baby, fly away, mm -hmm. you know. And um, there's that sadness there, the scenes at the airport. Second scenes where, um, you know, I'm coming back. And the mother is on her deathbed, you know, and mm -hmm. sort of like baby fly away. It's like mm -hmm. she's she's leaving. She's she's dying. Yeah. She's flying away. Yeah. So, you know, you sort of repaint that in, in a different perspective. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like a parable, right? You hear like the grain of wheat must fall to the ground and die. So we hear that. And 
But then it's like when you go through life, you have some sufferings or have some stuff where you got to die to yourself. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden that, that parable Oh, means a lot more, man. doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> not easy to live out. <laughs> I guess the Lord really knew what he was doing. Yeah, it's, I mean, so many times I will, you know, like, like, a, like a passage from the Bible might not strike me at an earlier season, but when I look at it again, it, it, it's wonderful that when, yeah, like talking about themes and mo motifs, mm -hmm. when, when I approach, you know, a, a phrase again, I look at it from a different perspective and, and from a different set of life experiences and it's yeah. it, it becomes more true yeah yeah i think the living word you know it, it truly is living and, and then breathing and you know sort of reminding us of what he says and i guess the depth of it too like with scripture mm. you can just keep going deeper and deeper into it and uh yeah that's the beauty of it yeah I guess we got to get you to your plane don't you we gotta, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've packed I've, yeah. I've got everything packed and yeah, so well, it's been nice to be here, just to soak in the atmosphere, uh, to see it up close, you know. Yeah. yeah I remember when I, I first turned on the TV, I was in Boston um, studying at Berkeley College of Music, and I turned on my TV back in 96, um, and this TV was, you know, free to air, you know, the little antennas poking up because poor, poor college students, you don't get to subscribe to cable or whatever. <laughs> Turn it on and dial the thing, and the only thing up there was this nun sitting uh, in her brown habit uh -huh. and, and then I was like wow there's a note on TV just <laughs> 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 said mother Angelica uh -huh. I said oh wow I think it was one of those sessions where she was you know giving the question answer talking you mm -hmm. know in her um, her way with wisdom and wit uh, and I was just like wow what's this I, I think I completely forgot about it for a while until I went out to LA and uh, we got our we got our first car it came with a satellite radio and for some reason i tune in and then it's at ewtn uh -huh. i said all oh, these programs are really nice <laughs> you know this is a what what type of station is it and i found it was a catholic radio station i thought this is good i learned so much just from listening in my car for hours on end you know you're stuck in la yeah, traffic yeah. and you just can't get anywhere like you know 101 and a 405 apparently it's the, the most congested freeway intersection in the whole nation yeah. um so oftentimes I would be stuck in traffic for hours. And then EWTN, you know, I would listen to, you know, many of the programs. And What was some of your favorites? Like Journey Home? A lot of people love yeah, Journey Yeah, Journey Home, Mox yeah. Cordae. Yeah. Um, I, I really did like Mother's, um, you know, her shows, yeah. Life, Life with Mother. Um, I would tune into that. The Catholic Answers, I got so much from the Catholic Answers. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just, just apologetics. I didn't realize, you know, so many, so many unanswered questions that I didn't know I, I had questions to, mm. you know, um, all, all these aspects of our Catholic faith. Um, I, learned, I learned a lot of it from just mm. listening to Catholic Answers or just listening to pro-life radio or just, you know, Raymond Arroyo talking about like certain current mm. affairs. So it's, it was interesting that that was, you know, I mean, it, it was almost like the Lord was just like <laughs> putting this radio station yeah. in my car. You know, and just catechizing me that way. But you, yeah. you were always, you always had the faith. You didn't like leave it or something. No, until, yeah, yeah. I, I cradle Catholic all the way through. Went for went for Sunday mass. Um, yeah. um, pretty much, I've been going. For, I haven't skipped a single Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I mean, my understanding of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, 
you know, that took some time to form. Even though, you know, I received First Holy Communion, went to catechism mm-hmm. classes. Um, but I remember at a certain point in time in my 20s, I didn't really get it. I, I, thought, I thought it was a symbol for some reason. And I remember thinking to myself in my 20s that, oh, you know, abortion, yeah, you know, it's, it's wrong. But if you're, you know, been raped or in cases of incest, I, I, guess, it's, I guess it's allowable. You know, I, I remember thinking mm-hmm. those things and thinking that they were right. So for some reason, maybe my, my Catholic identity was diluted along the way. But in my 20s, I reclaimed it again. Um, I was in music ministry. Um, you know, I, I guess through talking with people, through just reading more books, through listening to EWTN, mm-hmm. I got to understand, no, life is precious all the way from conception till death. Mm-hmm. You know, it sort of it was so good to be able to listen to the voice of truth. Um, and to know where I needed to be. And it's, it's so good to know that our church has always stood at the forefront of shining that light of truth. You know, mm. nothing has wavered it. Even mm. in the face of everybody else that's calling the church like outdated or, you know, like you guys don't know what you're talking about. But when everybody else has fallen off the wayside, I mean, you know, for example, the Protestants, they, they all agreed that contraception was wrong before 1930 or so. Mm-hmm. And you know, now with all that that's coming into play, you even get Protestant churches that are some, I read somewhere that some Baptist churches were, were going into abortion clinics and some pastor was blessing the abortion clinic. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the Catholic church would never do that because we, we know where the truth is. We know how precious life is. We know about the dignity of every human life because right. it's being taught to us. It's being handed down to us this whole, um, how the Lord loves us so much that He takes on, He takes on um, our bodies. I mean, like He becomes, He becomes human. He, you know, the whole um, body, blood, soul, divinity. I mean, it just amazes me that He can just place Himself fully in 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 us through yeah. the Eucharist. You know, the humility of that, and to and to <laughs> He ennobles our humanity. Um, and, and, you know, like that, that little part where, you know, you're adding that little bit of water to the wine in the chalice. It's such a beautiful way for us to, to realize that in that drop of water. Um, we're, so, we're so little, um, but yet we can be lost in His love because you can't take that little water, that little drop of water. You can't, you can't separate it from the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, once it's in that chalice, yeah. it's like... You can't, you can't take right, the water out. Right, right. That's such right. a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. it speaks for that ocean of mercy. Um, it speaks for how our Lord will just be with us till the end of time. In fact, that was, um, I remember there were a couple of moments in my childhood and growing up as a teenager where I was moved by certain bits of my Catholic faith. And one of the, one of the lines was that particular line where our Lord says, I will be with you even till the end of time. And I remember being very moved by that line. I'm not really truly understanding why, but now I look at that line and I, I, I see it as his promise that he, he's there in the tabernacle. He's there in every monstrance. I mean, till the end of time, he's going to be with us in that way because he's God. He can make it so mm-hmm. um, you know, that he's there with us. And I, I find that such a beautiful thing. Yeah, I heard of you know? uh, Bishop Barron, I think, was quoting... Um, I think it was Father Faber was was saying that we, you know, we've broken all the commandments of God, right, as a people. <laughs> <Stuff like laughs> that. But that is one thing the church 
has been faithful with is uh, you know we're made up the church is made up of sinners right and um, but is that offering the mass like do this in remembrance of yes. me it has been faithful to that that you know somewhere priests are offering the mass every day yeah. like that's part of his promise like to be with us yes like even in this very weak sinful humanity you know, I'm going to strengthen the church to be present to us every day in this extraordinary way. That, How uh, beautiful is that, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm just so, I'm just so glad that, I mean, could have been born into an atheist family, could have, you know, wandered around searching for him for years, but by the grace of God, um, he placed me where I could find the truth and, and, and be fed by it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I know, I make, the thing I think about sometimes too, it's like, you know, or was my family great catechist and whatever? It, it's more like, just like the witness of this is what we do. You know, I, I remember going to visit grandparents and it's like, they loved, they would love to go to Saturday evening mass, you know? <laughs> but that was like a big, that was like, that was the pillar of the week. Like, you know, wow. that was a, you know, you would do that, you know, we might go out to eat after or whatever, but, um, I just sometimes as a kid, I just remember like my grandmother and some aunts, whatever, you know, they're getting dressed up, they're putting the perfume on, they're looking in mirrors. <laughs> there, was, there was this big routine to going to the, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, and it, it's, I don't know, I just, it, it gives you the habit as a child and you don't, yeah. as a younger person even, but uh, it's like you don't understand it, but that, those habits are so important. I, I try to assure people, like parents, when their kids leave, maybe as adults, that they probably have a lot instilled in them through the witness of you, the habit. It'll be easier for them to come back, you know, come back to confession, yes. right? Or so they saw mom and dad doing it, and they did it some growing up. And yeah. So don't despair. It's probably not as far off as you think, right? Yeah, but. we all have our journey where we go and journey back. Yeah. God right straight with crooked lines, as they say. Well, Kareen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Father.